Well, as we get started this morning, I just, uh, just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to our members who last Sunday endured a two-and-a-half-hour annual meeting. Thank you. It's not always the most fun to do something like that, but it's good stewardship. It's good work in the Lord, so thank you for that. Uh, if it's any consolation to you, we were not the only Alliance Church last Sunday going through an annual meeting that also lasted two and a half hours. So uh, I guess we're, you know, up there with another church at least. Whenever we gather in the name of the Lord, it's a good day. Amen? Anytime we can gather as the body of Christ, it's a good day. We're going to continue studying together in the book of Philippians. We've been studying what God is saying through Paul to this church in Philippi, Greece, which we learned is a Roman colony. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how relatable this letter to the Philippians is to our current situation, our current culture. If you've missed any of those Sundays in this series, just a reminder, you can catch up on those on Spotify. Uh, we have a Spotify podcast station uh, that is just simply Kashokton Alliance Church. Um, and so over the last year, every message has been recorded and uploaded to that uh, Spotify account. And you can go back all the way back a year if you'd like to and, and listen. And then I hear if you double speed the playback, I sound kind of like a chipmunk. So that might be fun. Okay. But this morning, we're going to continue our study together. In Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Philippians 3. If you don't have your own Bible with you, there are some in the chairs scattered around the room. And I do encourage you to please have the, uh, the Word of God open before you as we go through the Word together. And as you are there, it sounds like, let us pray and ask the Lord to lead us in our time together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for all the wonderful ways that you reveal yourself to us through music, through giving, through your word, through the body of Christ, Lord, that uh, you, by your Holy Spirit, give us each a role to play. Lord, this morning we come to continue learning uh, what you have for us as a church, but also as a people, um, as a called people, called out of this world and to yourself, Lord. So, Lord, as we have your word open, would you speak through your Holy Spirit, through your word, so that each one of us would be able to take what you have for us and, and allow us to be transformed from the inside out, Lord. Only you can do that. Lord, there's, there's nothing in me that can make someone be changed, Lord. It is only by your spirit. So, Lord, we ask humbly and boldly that you would do what only you can do this morning, that you would change us even more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are in chapter three of Philippians, starting in verse 12. I'm going to be reading out of the English standard version. You can read along in your own. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. Paul starts out here in verse 12 saying, not that I have already attained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And we have to ask, well, what is the this that Paul is referring to? He says, not that I have already obtained this. What is Paul talking about? What is the this, right? Well, in order to understand what he is referring to, we kind of have to back up to, to verse 10, In verse 10, he says, That I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the this that Paul is talking about. He says, not that I have already attained this, the resurrection from the dead. Another way that we would refer to this is glorification, the glorified body, right? When we die, when the Lord calls us home, right, our bodies are glorified. It's the glorification. It's the end part of our salvation, right? This is what Paul is saying. He he says, not that I have already attained this glorification, this eternal life, the glorified body, or am perfect, right? He's talking about this eternal life. He's He's making it clear that this is the goal, this is the goal of everything. You remember last week he said, all of the righteousness that man would have for me, I count as dung, right? Like everything I could acquire on my own, in my own being, is worthless compared to the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ, right? It's an eternal perspective. That's the goal. Not the earthly temporal things, but the eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. He says, not that I have already attained. This word attained could also be achieved, uh, received, in other words. He says, not that I have already attained or achieved this glorification, this resurrection from the dead, or am perfect. The word perfect here means complete, finish, or perfect, right? This is why glorification is the goal, because it's the end, right? I think, of, I think of running a race. Now, I'm not a runner anymore, right? In middle school, I ran track. I, I ran the 200, and by the time I crossed that finish line, I was ready to collapse, right? There are some runners that make running look really painful, and there are other runners who, like, man, they could go on forever. Like, it, they make it look like it's the most joyous thing in the world, I despise those people. No, I'm just kidding. But but really, like, I don't like running. It's hard, right? Especially long-distance running. I don't mind sprinting from point A to point B. But the, the idea that Paul is painting here is that of kind of like a race. And the end line, the finish line, is when we're called home. The glorification. That perfection that is to come. He says, not that I have already attained the finish line, not that I have already arrived there, or am perfect. Paul's describing 
that he's still on the journey. And this is a reminder to all of us that all followers of Jesus are a work in progress. We are, we, until Christ comes back or calls us home, we are still running the race. We might be running it really slow, or we might be running it really fast, but it's still in the process. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are still here with us on earth, you are a work in progress. Sorry to inform you, you're not perfect yet. Okay, you can laugh, that was a joke. Man, you guys are serious this morning. But seriously, like, if you're still here, God still has work to do in you and through you, right? For his purposes. And so there's a reason you're here still. That's good news. Because none of us are beyond use of the kingdom of our Savior. We are only perfected in our glorification when Jesus comes back or calls us home. That's the only time we reach that perfection. Glorification is why Paul continues here when he says that I press on to make it my own. Right? Glorification is why Paul is pressing on in the work that Jesus called him to do, even though he's sitting in prison, not sure whether he's going to live tomorrow, not sure if he's ever going to see the Philippians again, but he's writing to them in hopes that he will, right? He's in prison, but he's looking to that day, and he says, that's why I continue pressing on for that prize, for that finish line. That's why I continue to write these letters. That's why I continue to do the work of the gospel in Christ Jesus. He presses on in the work that Jesus Christ called him to do. And it's not because the work brings the goal to fruition. It's not because the work that Jesus gave him makes him make progress towards that finish line. It's because Jesus made Paul his own. Let's talk about that. This, this making it my own. Different translations might have this worded differently. So if you're not using the English standard version and you're using a different translation, it may be translated slightly different here than what, Paul, what I'm reading to you where Paul says, I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The idea here is being laid hold of Right? To make it my own, this glorification, is to seize tight hold of, to arrest, to catch, to capture, to lay hold of, to attain, if you will. Right? And Paul says, I press on to, to lay hold of glorification because Christ has laid hold of me. This is very important because... The pressing on towards gaining glorification is not because the works that God has given him to do help him to attain that. It's because Christ got a hold of his life. That's why. Because when Christ gets a hold of us, we want the same things he does. And we live our life that way. Because Christ lay hold of me. 
Not because I'm trying to earn anything. I've already attained everything in the eternal reward when that comes through Christ's sacrifice for me, through my repentance and faith in him. I already have everything coming my way when that day comes. And so I don't have to work towards it. I work for him because he lay hold of me and I desire him. There's a difference. He says, I press on towards laying hold of glorification that day, that end goal, because Christ Jesus has grabbed a hold of me. He has laid hold of me. And I just think that that's such a beautiful language that Jesus lay hold of me. Who am I that Jesus would lay hold of me? Who am I that Jesus would capture me and hold me tightly? This is intimacy talk. Who am I that the Savior of the world would cling to me and hold me tightly? This intimacy with Jesus is experienced when I live my life surrendered to his will. When I surrender my will, like we spoke of, I surrender. Here I am, down on my knees again. I surrender. That posture of my will, not my will, but his will, that's when intimacy between Jesus and us is experienced. The very real, tangible experience of Jesus' love for me captures my desire. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he's revealing. He said, he said I, don't, I don't have to work for anything because Christ's love transformed me so, though wretched I was, though I was a persecutor of the church, he got a hold of my life so much that for the rest of my life, I'm going to do anything he asked me to. That's what it means to be laid hold of. And that becomes the reason for Paul saying, I press on. Even, uh, even in prison, even in my circumstances, even if things aren't going the way I want them to go, I press on because Jesus lay hold of me. And the more I surrender my will to the Lord Jesus, and the more I realize and come to accept the fact that Jesus lay hold of me on no merit of my own, then I long to serve him and be more like him. And this is what we call sanctification, right? It's a process. This is the road. This is the race we talk about, the sanctification process. The more I come to know Jesus in this way, the more I desire to continue the race. Not because I'm trying to earn anything, but because I know where I stand and I know whose I am. He continues in verse 13, and he says, Brothers, and again, this would be that brethren language, so brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, the, the it, right, that, that I have not laid a hold of this goal. He's not, he's not laid hold of this reward yet. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
He basically says, I admit before you right now that I have not gained this eternal reward. I've not, gained, I've not come into possession of it yet. He says, but one thing I do, one thing I do, I forget. This word forgetting what lies behind, this word forget means I no longer care for or I have let it go out of my mind. I've let it leave my mind. He says, I've, I no longer care for or I've let out of my mind what lies behind me. Now, one could argue what Paul is talking about is his old life before conversion, right? He just got done talking about that in the letter. We, we, we talked about that last week, right? That he was a born uh, on the eighth day, he was circumcised. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, all of those things, right? Right? We know Paul's testimony that he was a Pharisee and he was zealous for the Lord. And he, before encountering Christ, he was persecuting Christians, literally hunting them down, right? So this could be language that Paul's saying that that old life I've left behind, I no longer remember it. I think that's true. But I also think, based on the context here and based on my understanding and my study this week, that not only is he talking about pre-conversion, he's also talking about post-conversion up to this point. Paul has accomplished a lot up to this point in being in prison. He's had many encounters with Jesus Christ up to this point. He has served his Lord faithfully for many, many years. And the reality is, when we have mountaintop experiences, we can hold on to those. And we can make idols out of them. We can remember those glory days and say, man, what if we just got back to that? Right? We have the same temptation here in our culture. We have the same, same temptation now to make idols out of what God has done in the past when we go back and remember. And Paul, Paul's saying, I forget what lies behind me. That, the language there is everything to this point. He's forgetting. He's letting it go, the good and the bad, before Jesus and with Jesus, because he wants to live in the presence now with what God is doing, right? Because God is living He's with us every day. And Paul's telling us and, and teaching us that this matters more than anything that Christ has done for me in the past, even those great mountaintop experiences. So one of the things that with Whiteout coming this weekend, one of the things that we will be teaching our students is this is going to be an amazing experience for you, but we're not going to make an idol out of it. What is it going to look like when we come back? What is it going to look like on Monday? What is it going to look like on Tuesday? to walk out your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that the mountaintop experiences are bad, but when we cling to them as, that's when I knew Jesus. That was when his presence was so great. If we could just go backwards to that, now I've made the experience an idol versus living in the daily presence of our Lord. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, but one thing I do I forget what lies behind, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. This idea of straining forward is an intentional effort forward or ahead to what lies ahead. Well, what lies ahead for Paul? He's already explained it. It's the goal, right? It's, it, have you ever watched a marathon race, right? 
Some people get so disoriented in a, in a marathon race that they need somebody to help them cross the finish line because they don't know which way to run anymore because they've been so dehydrated, right? Paul's language here is that of a marathon runner who can hardly move forward. It's an effort to finish that race and cross the finish line. That's the effort that Paul is, in the, in the original language here, it's that, it's that intentional, I'm going to put one foot forward, after the next, after the next, with intention, and it's going to be painful at times. It's going to be hard, but I'm straining forward for the goal. It's a desperate, intentional effort to finish the race. Paul says everything that's happened, my old life and up to this point with Jesus, I'm forgetting that because I'm straining towards the goal. There's more yet to come. There's more encounters. There's more things that Jesus has for me until he calls me home. And it's because Paul has this eternal perspective. He's not worried about what happens here. Like, I'm straining towards the the ultimate goal. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This pressing on, again, he continues with this language, is pursuit with intent. Another, another way of translating this I press on, the press on, literally means persecute in the original language. Which is... A little ironic, knowing Paul's background <laughs> as a persecutor of the church, that he would use such language. But it's that type of intense word when he says, I press on, I'm pursuing with intent in the same way that I persecute, right? I'm hunting down. It's intentional. And what is he hunting down? What is he, what is he pursuing with intent? The goal, the prize of the upward call glorification that day that sweet day when christ calls us home right that's the goal that's what he's straining for that's what he's pursuing verse 15 says let those of you who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise god will reveal that also to you this word for mature is actually the same Greek word that he uses in verse 12. And I'm wondering, if you just go back to verse 12, which word you might think it is. Go ahead, say it out loud. Perfect. Yes. In verse 12, the word perfect, where he says, not that I have already attained this or am perfect, is the same Greek word for mature. So is Paul saying that mature people are perfect? Is he saying that the mature are perfect and they'll think this way? No. No, he's not saying that. What Paul's doing here is a play on words. And he's, he's basically saying those that, see ourse- uh, that we are not, if we are mature in Christ, if we would call ourselves mature in Christ, we will not see ourselves as arrived or perfect. And this is what it means to be mature, is that I know 
in my matureness in Christ that I've not been perfect, that I am not perfect yet, that I have not arrived in Christ. And this is a sign of maturity. But not just that, he says that we are not to see ourselves as arrived or perfect, but to be continual learners, to forget the past and strain forward. This is what it means to think this way that he just talked about, straining forward. That everything in the past pales in comparison to what lies before us in Jesus Christ. And it's not, again, it's not that we should forsake the past and, and never remember what God has done, but that we shouldn't focus backwards. We shouldn't live our life in the rearview mirror. We are looking forward to what Jesus is doing and, and is currently doing now, right? Because God is living and active now in this generation. He is continuing to speak through his people, through his word, by his Holy Spirit, if we would just listen and look forward instead of focusing on the past. Paul also shows his trust in the Lord that even if Paul was not able to persuade them, that's where he says, and if anything you think otherwise, that language basically is, is Paul saying, even if I can't persuade you, God will. He shows his faith and trust in the Holy Spirit, right? He says, even if you won't listen to an old man like me in prison, God will, God will make it clear to you, and God will, God will persuade you. Such a great reminder to us that your faith is your own. It doesn't rely on anybody else. You can't, you know, our children can't uh, piggyback off of our faith. That's why it's so important to disciple the younger generation because they, they, they don't come into mature faith based on what the parents have, right? Our faith is our own. As leaders, disciple makers, evangelists, missionaries, everyday believers in the body of Christ, your job is not to persuade lost people to Jesus. Because only Jesus can do that. Our job is to simply be gospel presenters. And I think that that's kind of the idea that Paul's talking about here. It's like, my job as a believer in Christ is to simply share the hope that lives in me. Christ with the world. What they do with that is between them and the Lord. It's not my job to argue back and forth semantics and, and, and beat them over the head with the Bible, but, but this is what the, the Bible says, right? Until they say yes and submit because they're, you know, tired of being beat, right? Because each person has to make that decision. And only the Lord can grab the hold. Only Jesus can lay hold of them, right? Now, he'll use us to be a part of that plan, but it's not your job or my job to make them say yes. This is one of the lessons I've had to teach my children since we've come here because they've had relationships with friends at school that don't know Jesus and, and they get dejected a little bit when they've, they've shared the gospel over and over again and they feel like they're a failure because their friends haven't said yes to Jesus yet. I said, buddy, it's not your, it's not your job to get them to say yes. You're doing exactly what Christ calls you to do by just sharing. It's up to them. Right? That, 
when we place the burden of, of persuading someone to say yes to Jesus, now we put ourselves in bondage to their decision. And Christ doesn't want that. Right? So Paul says, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Previously, we learned Paul saying that your calling as a believer is to be light among the darkness and to be a witness to Jesus. Paul makes it clear here that your job is not to persuade somebody to say yes to Jesus. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This word hold true is to proceed in a row as a march of a soldier. Hold true. I'm marching in line, right? It's the idea of I'm, I'm a soldier and I'm marching in, in line. It's to walk, to live, right? He says, only let us live and walk, hold true to what we have attained. Well, what have we attained? Paul just got done talking about what we haven't attained, right? Paul just said that we have not attained a righteousness on our own. It's only by faith. We have not attained perfection. Rather, we are in the process. So what have we attained? Well, a pattern as citizens of heaven to live by in surrender. We've received the Holy Spirit through our repentance and faith in Jesus. We've received a promise that when that day comes, we're with him in glorification. That when we follow this path, this pattern of living our lives daily in surrender, pursuing the knowing Christ more intimately than I did yesterday, when we follow this path, we're pursuing Christ more intimately than yesterday, and that is far superior than anything else. That as a citizen of heaven, we are found in Christ, living into and out of this reality, and that brings us into a deeper intimacy with Jesus. We know him more. We don't just know about him, but we know him. We share his heart because he lay hold of us. That as a citizen of heaven, we know perfection is coming. It's the goal. It's the finish line. That perfection is found in the name of Jesus. And that when he comes back, we will enter by faith into the resurrected life once for all time. That's what we have attained. So let us hold true or stay the course by forgetting the past and straining forward to the finish line, knowing that the best is yet to come. And it's a change of perspective that the best isn't here. The best isn't here. What, the best that's yet to come is with Jesus in his immediate presence. 
Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, we would not just sit with this, but Lord, that by your spirit it would transform us, that, that you would give us this eternal perspective, Lord, that, that whatever barriers may be in the way of letting that perspective be first, Lord, we ask that you would convict us so that we could surrender that to you. Lord, we long to be a people that are laid hold of by the one who is, is far superior than anything we could imagine. To be laid hold by Jesus. Mm. But I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours so that we would, as a people, be living out this great commission you call us to, to go and make disciples, Lord, to to, to share the gospel, to, to be bold and courageous in our community, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would transform lives. And it's not because we persuaded them, but because the hope that comes in the gospel is, is contagious, Lord, that, that as we just, by faith, share the good news, that it will be received as such. Lord, we desperately want to see our community healed from, from hurt and brokenness and, and the drugs and the alcohol and, and Lord, the, the promiscuous life, Lord. I, I pray that you would heal marriages and, and families, Lord, and, and that can only come from, from you, but you do use us. You use your church to be agents, Lord, to go and share the good news. So whether that's at work, whether that's at school, whether that's and in our neighborhoods, Lord, whatever that might look like, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness to live as citizens of heaven. It's in your name we pray.